Hello and welcome to the Talking Funny podcast. My name's Howard Reed, and this is a podcast about the comedy voice and voices in general. Today we're talking to the fantastic comedian Rosie Jones. Hello, um, welcome to the Talking Funny podcast. Uh, my name's Howard Reed. I am a comedian and writer. I'm here with uh, Sophie's Gut, my co-presenter. Hi, I, I'm a professor here at UCL. <laughs> professor Sophie Scott as well, of course. Uh, and uh, Naheem Bashir, what's your prefix? Have you got? Uh, doctor. Doctor. Okay. Doctor. Let's use, let's use doctor. Okay, cool. Um, and uh, our guest today is the fantastic comedian Rosie Jones. Hello, I'm a bit annoyed that I'm not a doctor uh. or a professor. That sounds good. What would you like? What would your, be your ideal um, prefix? Baroness. Nice. Mm. Baroness Fantastic. One day. Very distinguished. Uh, cool. Well, thank you very much for, for coming and talking thank about your you. comedy voice. Um, I thought of a game that we could play. Great. Um, to start off with. Um, I would like to play a game where we have to guess where the others are from by their accents. Oh. So I think this might be interesting. And so yeah. we'll start off with me. Where do you think I'm from? I mean, you might know, Sophie, but... Um, I, I would say the southeast of England. I don't know if I could be more precise than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would also say southeast somewhere. Can you be any more precise? Yeah, I don't know. I've got a really boring accent. Here. Yeah. I'm from Hitchin in the southeast. Oh, uh, yes. And, so, and Sophie, because um, I guess you probably know where Sophie's from. I don't actually. Yes, can, okay. I, can, can, you, can you work out where I'm from from my voice? It's, there are clues. Uh, very specific questions about tortoises or, <laughs> <laughs> or bats. I don't know. I'm, I'm from Blackburn in Lancashire. Oh, oh you don't <laughs> sound like you are. It varies hugely. It really yeah. does so well. Yeah. Someone said to me years ago, you must have lost your professor. You must have lost your Blackburn accent when you became a professor. Yeah. I was like, no, no, no. Yes. No, yeah. I exactly did that. Yeah. That's absolutely yeah. what I did. Yeah. Where's, where's Nadine from? You probably won't be able to guess where I'm from, um, but I'm happy just to let you try. Okay. I don't know. Midlands, so I'm from uh, Birmingham. Okay. No, Uh, you don't sound like... Which is a compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And Rosie? Yeah. So I was... Because I I always think that, um, particularly as a... British act walking on stage with any sort of accent in the wrong place yeah. is the wrong thing. You haven't realised it's quite hard to tell what your accent is. Uh, but I'll be listening. Is it is it North Yorkshire way north? I'm from East Yorkshire, Bridlington. Mm-hmm. I went to uni in Huddersfield, and because of my disability, I never thought I had an accent yeah, yeah. until I moved to London and people were like, oh, you do. <laughs> and so I think it's when you're away from your hometown that you go, Oh, I don't sound like everyone. But when you listen to you, of course you are. It, yeah. It's quite true. Yeah. But then but I think you also see you and you, you ha- you, you've got disabled voice. That's <laughs> it. That's it. I always 
Lots of swear words are quite Anglo-Saxon, aren't they? And yeah. then, then that's what Yorkshire... It's got a Viking, yeah. isn't it? It's a you that just feels lovely. Um, I got quite a reputation for swearing, but I'll always stand by it because I never use it for no reason. Mm. It's always chosen for a reason. And I will argue with anyone who would say, oh, you don't need to swear. You do. It's lovely. Because I do... uh, Kids, kids shows and family yeah. shows, and you've you've done some comedy club kids yeah. stuff as well. Yeah. And obviously you can't swear on those. No. But I I I've got a theory that swearing in adult comedy is a good signifier, especially to people with kids, that there aren't any kids here. Yeah. That the gloves are off. We can talk about whatever we want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my first sort of impressions of you on stage is just happiness. You oh, you exude yeah. just yeah. happiness yeah. and joy. Yeah. Um, and it's confusing because you then go on to say other very happy things, but some incredibly dark things yeah, as well. Yeah, that's it. So, um, I think the persona I am on stage is me just a little cranked up. Mm. So, I 
I'm so happy. I am paid to perform jokes. I am paid to make people happy. So that, for me, is a joy. But then at the same time, there's something so um, satisfying about the juxtaposition between me being this happy, sweet, little, in inverted commas, disabled lady, and then coming out with some utter filth. It's that shock factor. Yeah. And I never relied solely on shock. It always comes from a place of funny, but it's really fun to go. Actually, you expect me to be nice, cute, prim and proper. Don't you dare judge me. Here's how dark I can go. And do do you, because you wear very bright, sort of quite childlike clothes on stage when you... thank you. And is that, that's (laughs) because you're wearing, you're not, you're not, you're dressed less like that now. Yeah, Um, yeah, I think I do that on purpose. I wear a lot of dresses, I wear a lot of flowery shoes, and I think... uh, I like to build up an image that when I wobble on stage, people go, she's nice, <laughs> she's so adorable. So then when I drop a swear word or something sexual, it, People are taken off for God. Yeah. Um, and that's also fun. Yeah. Um, you've got, there's your, I can't remember, it's your sexual fantasy bit. Yes. Um, my favourite part of that is the yoghurt. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. So I was talking to my friend about this. There's something so fascinating about word choice and what what power that has. Mm. And my heroes growing up were Victoria Wood and Carolina Hurst. And both of them in their stand-up and in dinner ladies and in the royal family, they have certain words that you laugh at and you go, I don't know why that's Mm. funny. 
the slower you say it the funnier it is yeah. because each and that's what's great about what you do is that with each word another part of the picture yeah. emerges yeah and then suddenly and finally you're in Guernsey yeah and like yeah and then um, who I remember and who I think about when I'm writing a new joke because they didn't speak slowly, but they knew the importance of rhythm and words. This is the Talking Funny Pod... (laughs) (laughs) This is definitely the Talking Funny Podcast. Shall I take out your water's speed? I set out my sexual fantasy that starts at Brian Gosling's house, but he's out. So I let myself in naked and and then it goes on and I should say my favourite line is I have a yogurt and then I I said that joke about 200 times and yogurt Always oh, get so big it's laugh. But it wasn't always yoga. Okay. It started out um I have a pork pie, <laughs> which again is, is a funny image and I think I can't remember, but there was a time where I'd say a different food choice every time I did it. So it would be a sandwich, cereal, but there's something so beautiful about the sexual fantasy and the simplicity of a yogurt but also sorry back to um 
sounds and my action I think it also works because of oh yogurt like it sounds like a funny word it's just so laden with so many things because you're, I don't know why I imagine it's a plain yogurt yes yes <laughs> it is <laughs> it is and I think I came up with it because and they um, said she was fantasy I'm killing time so I just had this image of me looking in quite an empty fridge and going oh I love a yogurt <laughs> because no matter how empty your fridge is you always have a yogurt <laughs> You, I guess because because of the way you talk and the yeah, speed you talk, yeah. the audience is always hanging on your every word. That's and it. your choice of words is very important. Yeah, yeah. And it seems to be that, I don't know if you, you've always been good at it or mm. you, it, that those restrictions have made you good at it. You're amazing at toppers, uh, <laughs> at having, that you'll quite often have three or four jokes in a sentence yeah. by just adding another word on, yeah. on the end. Yeah. Um, the, the Shrek. So I say, I have a yogurt and then I watch Shrek <laughs> free. <laughs> Times <laughs> and it's so, it's so simple, but um, it's that idea of in a sexual fantasy, why would you watch Shrek and then why would you specify Shrek? Free. That's a rubbish one. <laughs> but then going track three times, yeah, back to the beginning of watching track. Why would somebody <laughs> spend six hours watching track? And I wish. I could remember how and why I wrote that. I think that was a joke that came to me on stage. Yeah. Because I think as a performer, you want to, like, eke out every little laugh and I think I planned on saying Shrek oh maybe I think I planned on saying Shrek free because it's so specific but I got a laugh after Shrek. So then I thought I can get one more after free. And then I thought 
How can I get a photograph? And then times came to me. So, so I had a yogurt. Yeah, three words. Then what? Then I watched Trek three times. Is nine words. Yeah. And there's four really good laughs in there. And you also put a yummy in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ten, wor- ten, yeah. ten words. And ten really big laughs. That's it. Um, But back to what you asked, Adam. I got cerebral palsy. We probably shouldn't mention that. Yeah. yeah. Surprise! And um, I've had CP since I was born. Um, That's my speech. And my mobility, but not my intelligence. And um, I think growing up, I was quite stubborn and I knew who I was. And I found very quickly that people underestimated me. So I found a way of stopping that, and that was to use comedy. And comedy is incredible because it's a way that I, even as a child, could ease tension um, but also show that I was intelligent. Mm. It's a way to get my intelligence across without being too precocious. Mm. So from a young age I knew that if I walked into a room and even as an eight-year-old, I had to even make adults feel comfortable around me. So I knew I could walk into a room of children or adults anyone and make a joke about wobbling or talking funny and you could see that people relaxed and went oh okay so she looks funny she sounds funny but by god she switched on and now think on top of that I'm very aware that it takes longer for me to say things so I've always been a writer and although I speak slowly I I think at an average speed so I'm 
constantly self-editing what I'm about to say. So, I, I, when we were arranging this by email, I, you know, when you just a stupid thought comes into your head, as your, your emails were going back and forth, I thought I was going, well, she doesn't write emails like she talks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think she's putting it on. Yeah, <laughs> don't tell anyone. But it's that thing, God, I think with comedians as well, they will... They talk at a million miles an hour, but if they wrote down what they were saying, it's a lot of what for yeah. So what I do is, I mean, it's a big process, but I write my jokes down and I take away every single word that I don't need. Even I have a yogurt, an able-bodied comedian might say, I have a strawberry mullet yogurt. I don't have time to say that. And at the same time, I need to stay ahead of the audience. So when the audience hear me say yogurt, they could not have predicted that. So what you're saying, what you said just then about um, putting people at ease socially. Yeah. So this is kind of what this podcast is. What I think it's about is getting the... Um, so Sophie's got a, th- um, a theory. No, it's not a theory. It's a fact that, uh, that all speech is performance yeah. for everybody and everyone who's listening to someone talking is an audience to some yeah. degree and so have you got anything to say about that it is really interesting listening to you describing this because there is a whole theory about speech production that says actually people who are speaking fluently very often make huge numbers of errors and they often don't even notice they've done it because your attention is earlier on in the system kind of editing you before firing words off and kind of giving them to the motor system to get Mm. them out there and what you're describing is in fact you've you've got that process running much more quickly so you're not going to make mistakes because you've got this constraint further down the line but it means you're absolutely on as you say you're editing in the moment while the audience are reacting to that one thing and it's a a beautiful idea that you're Mm. kind of absolutely crafting yeah. there and then in the moment which everybody is to an extent yeah. it's all the performance but you have this constraint that there's actually you're using it for comedy purposes yeah, yeah. absolutely perfectly yeah I have, yeah. A, I have a sort of similar thing with writing I'm dyslexic and yeah. so my uh, dad bribed me £50 to learn how to touch type and so I can touch type quicker than I can <laughs> but so sometimes when I'm writing I don't write very well because I'm writing far too yeah. quick for my own yeah. brain and so sometimes if I'm actually have to really craft something I sit down and write it longer yeah. but because I'm dyslexic my handwriting is appalling so yeah. I have to go really slowly yeah. in order to make it legible to myself wow. even later on this is the Talking Funny podcast 
when I started out, I toyed with the idea of performing stand-up for probably two years before my first gig. And I think my first few gigs, although not perfect, I played on that fact of people thinking I'm a cute little disabled lady and then saying, ha ha, you're wrong. But I think I needed to do a lot more um, one-liners at the top for several reasons. One, I needed to assure them that I was funny. Two, I needed to, um, address what I would call the disabled elephant in the room. But number three, I wanted a few quick jokes so that everybody got used to my voice. So that's where I started. And maybe I'm wrong, but I've been so lucky recently that I'm now on TV. I'm now at least in the comedy world. Um, people know me and I this makes me sound big headed but now I really go on stage and nobody knows who I am they've got a bit of contest and I think the fact I've been on TV assures people that I'm funny. Mm. So I got to do less of that groundwork. Mm. They know what they're about to see. So um, Sophie told me on Monday, and it was new material, so it was not perfect by any means but I told a story that wasn't about my disability and it didn't have any quick one-liners I really got on stage and I was like yeah I'm Rosie, you know what the deal is. Anyway, let's 
talk about something that was, which is different and quite liberating. Mm. Um, I don't know if this is up for topic, but a lot of things I'm thinking about recently is being apologetic for who I am because it was only recently that I fell over and a load of strangers, they were lovely and I looked after but I just kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm so, I'm so, so, no, I'm fine, I'm so sorry. And it was only after I thought, why am I apologising for something I can't help? And I think my early days as a stand-up, I used the quick one-liners in a way to apologise and be like, sorry, and now I speak slowly, sorry, but hear me out, look, I can tell you for jokes in seven words, and now that I do that, I still do that now. I now feel a bit more um, liberated and allowed to go, you know what, you might not laugh for 25 seconds. That's on you. But stick with me and it'll be worth it. Mm. I find it really interesting what you were saying about, like, I haven't just been on my phone uh, (laughs) browsing the internet at all. I've just been making notes on what you've been saying. And a lot of what you've said about your experience of speaking has resonated exactly with my experience of speaking as well. Because... I have a a a a a a a a stammer. Yeah. So when you said your you feel like you have to be apologetic, I had exactly the same experience as well. So whenever, not anymore, but used but I used to whenever I would stammer, my instantly without thinking, I would say, "Oh, I'm sorry. I I have a stammer," and like, and I I started to reflect on that, Mm. thinking why exactly am I apologising for Mm. this because this is who I am, I can't change Mm. this, I'm not choosing to be annoying or to be, I'm not not choosing to to take up your time in this situation and it genuinely feels like you're a burden on the other person's existence in that moment and it feels like you're taking up the time and they have other places uh, to go to and you're kind of holding them up a bit or you feel you're being, you're 
boring them to some extent. And I'm just going back to what you said on your you 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 take out the words, so you try to stay ahead. Yeah. And in normal speech, I people finish my sentences because they can predict where you're going to go. So I feel that's that that's a very kind of interesting angle you've taken, and that really kind of resonated to. And that whole idea of taking out the word so people can't predict mm-hmm. what you're going to say. So you can actually be yourself in the situation. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to change who you are t- to fit the other person. Yeah. So, so you're having, having to change what you say mm-hmm. in order to fit into that environmental mm-hmm. world, really. So I find that very interesting. And it's a really powerful thing I've, I've found just to make that c- conscious choice to not say mm-hmm. sorry as well. Mm-hmm. Because it... Because if you apologise for it, it just makes you feel like you're wrong in some way. Yeah. And everything that's going wrong or everything you perceive to be wrong in the situation is your fault and you're to blame. Yeah. And really, it's just how you talk and the yeah. uh, there is no blame in this situation at all. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, and I wrote down that you feel you have to prove yourself before you can be who you are. That's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so I think I've always loved telling stories, that's what I do. I'm an anecdotal comedian, but when I started out, I would always preface a story with eight nine one-liners as a bit of an apology to go, right, you've had your laps now. <laughs> you know I'm funny. Now I've assured you that if you stick with me, it'll be worth it. So allow me to tell this five-minute story. It will have jokes throughout, but it won't be the same jokes mm. per minute ratio. Five jokes per day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think the result of that for you has been that you've... Like, I, I've been been a comedy writer for 20 years as an able-bodied comedian you only realize that the words you'd say that aren't necessary on stage are a waste of time yeah. after a couple of years yeah. of going why yeah. did I die on my ass yeah. then oh, it's yeah. because I did but this is the talking funny podcast would you think you'd be a comedian if you didn't have cerebral palsy that's an interesting one and one that I've thought about a lot. I um, I come from a very funny family. My childhood was spent at the dinner table making each other laugh. So I believe that I would still be funny, but my childhood would have been different 
Adam can be as outgoing and sociable because that my personality had to grow to be bigger than my disability because I wanted people to see me before they saw my cerebral palsy. Mm. So as a 30-year-old able-bodied woman, I don't think I would have been as outgoing and as much of a sociable person but also I started in TV but behind the camera because it's always been my passion to have more disabled people on TV, on the radio, and I thought the way to do that was to be behind the camera and find talent, as they call them. But it was only being in that situation that I thought, I could do it. Why am I looking for somebody like me when it could be me? And 100% I'm not a martyr. I'm not a comedian for everyone else. I'm not a comedian for all disabled people. I'm a comedian for me. But along with that, I feel like I grew up in a world where I didn't see me represented in the media. So that gave me anger, which luckily turned into fire and ambition to go, you know what? I'm gonna make sure that the younger generation can turn on the TV and maybe see someone like them. I don't speak for all disabled people, I speak for myself, but if someone watches me and thinks if she can do it, I can do it, great. So I think all of those elements about my disability gave me that drive 
to make it as a comedian that I feel that if I was able-bodied, I'd still be funny, I'd still be able to write a joke, but I wouldn't be saying anything new and I wouldn't have that need to get on stage in a way that I feel like I do now. <laughs> That's a very long answer. I'm very sorry. No, that's that was yeah. yeah. Anger is an energy. Yeah. yeah. I could find it like again, like what you said about using your anger to fuel what yeah. you do. It's like I had the same. Uh, uh, and I run a support group for people who stammer like to tell people the same thing like you you're only going it's only going to improve for you once your your kind of anger towards the situation rises above what you feel the limitations of the conditions mm-hmm. to be and so uh, yeah but I had the same kind of anger and that high on the drive but mm-hmm. I focused that on myself and sort of trying to design my life and have my interactions with people so that I can live how I want to live and Mm. I'm not avoiding words or situations or Mm. anything like that as well so I do find that when you're in your experience with your um, anger towards it do you feel that it's an anger is a necessary part to be able to be able to move beyond what you be beyond your condition, whatever it may be. Hmm. Yeah, I do. I do because the anger, luckily for me, I'm able to keep in track. And the anger is never all-consuming. It's and I still feel anger even now, but I'm able to be aware of it and say, right. Why am I angry and how do I convert this into passion and drive? And also, uh, I mean, I don't know whether this is nature or nurture, but on the whole i'm not an angry person and quite relaxed and quite patient so it allows me to see the bigger picture and go right i'm not normally angry why am I now mm. angry and how do I change mm. this? Did you ever turn the anger 
towards yourself in a way? Like, did you beat yourself up over how you talk, or did you beat yourself up over how you are, or did you feel that you had, you ought to have some control over it, you ought to be able to change? That's interesting. Um, like I said, I've always been disabled since birth, so I've never known any different. And I think growing up, I was always aware I was different, but it never upset me. I think in my whole childhood, I had two or three occasions when I said to my mum, why am I different? And she will cry, I will cry, we'd have a hug and then we get on with it. So, no, I never had time when I was angry at myself, but, um, I'm really getting into it now. I am um, 29, I'm 30 in June, and um, that's allowed me to assess a lot of things because soon I'm gonna be a 30 year old with great friends, a great career and finally in a place where I like who I am I'm happy with what I look like I'm happy with my life but I had one, one evening a few weeks ago where I was out with friends, but I wasn't drunk and I called an Uber. And um, sometimes an Uber, uh, Uber driver will hear my voice, assume that I am drunk and hang up or cancel or drive away. And this particular night, I had eight Uber drivers cancel and it was December, I was cold, I was tired, my friends had gone home and I just sat in the centre of London and I thought for the first time in honestly 20 years, I thought 
I find it really weird how our experiences are pretty... They're very eerie in that. Yeah. Almost a carbon copy. And yeah. I've had those experiences yeah. too with Uber drivers. I have one joke about Uber... I have about four jokes in general. Great. I have one joke about Uber drivers. Great. Um, but it, where you said that in that moment you felt like you would take a pill to not be disabled. Yeah. I felt like that many times before when I've analysed it. It's not that I feel... It's not that's me who's making me feel disabled. It's the actions of other people that make me feel disabled. had waited and I got in that car, I wouldn't have had that whole spiral. Mm. But in that moment, I brought it all on myself mm. and I thought, it's your fault, you've chosen this life because in my head and of course it's not black and white but in my head it was either you're on a cold street on your own in London or a cold in the warm bed in York in my mum and dad's house and it's not that black and white and I know me I always fantasise about quitting moving and getting a nine to five job and I would do that and I know I would love it for two weeks and then I'd be like I'm bored. That's just being self-employed as well. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Coming up to tax time, I'm going, yeah. why didn't I just have a yeah. job? Um, I think one of the things about that story is it's not your fault, obviously. Mm. It's it's the fault of a society where people like you aren't seen on television. Yeah. In the, yeah. But what you're doing is great because had... I wonder if the first Uber driver who who didn't hang up had seen you on telly. <laughs> or not not because, yeah. oh, oh, that's Rosie Jones, but would think twice about making an assumption about how you talk yeah. because they'd seen someone... Because yeah. most people go through their lives probably never meeting someone with no. with, a, with a disability. No. like Or if they do, they don't spend yeah. any time with them. Yeah. Um, and also it's more than me. Like, I do it so that... A Uber driver who has seen me on TV might pick up somebody yeah, yeah. with CP and go, oh yes, it's like that comedian. We're all talking funny, mouse or foghorn, tortoise, bunny, slurred or stuttered, or just like the Queen. 
Yes, we're all talking funny summer. Thank you very much for listening. Please like and subscribe. Future episodes, we're hoping to talk to Paul Mayhew Archer, the comedy writer, most famously behind The Vicar of Dibley, who has only recently started performing stand up comedy as well after he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Uh, we're also hoping to talk to Mark Watson, uh, Jonathan Mayer, Beck Hill, amongst very many others. Hope you're enjoying it. Um, bye. We're all talking funny, might as well just face it, sunny, being different's what makes us alike. Yes, we're all talking funny, it's the truth, believe it, honey, some of us talk funny through a mic.